Thank you for listening to Southside Baptist Church's podcast. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at southsidesbc.org. Again, that's southsidesbc.org. Additionally, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus and why we serve him, please email us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thank you for listening. Struggle. Lord, enough is enough. Why are you allowing all of this to happen? Well, you know, as hard as it is to go through difficult times, and can we all just acknowledge it's hard, amen? Life, in life, you know, it's, it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when we're going to go through stuff. And so um, as hard as it is to go through difficult times, friends, I believe that if we can begin to understand that God is at work in the midst of our trials and that he has a purpose in what he is doing in the midst of trials in our lives, then I believe it makes it a little bit easier to bear. Amen? So this morning, we're going to look at a passage way back in the Old Testament uh, to help us understand some of what God, I believe, is doing now, what he does in our lives, and how he allows trials uh, for a purpose in our lives. So look in your text, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Number one, what is God doing in our lives? Why does God allow trials in our lives? First of all, God allows trials to humble us, to humble us. Um, We probably would not want to admit that, but uh, sometimes we need humbling. Amen? Um, Sometimes we get kind of high on our horse and we think we know everything. And so sometimes we need God to to teach us and to, to, to break our pride. Not sure if you remember the context of um, where what's going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. But if you remember, God had delivered the Israelites uh, from slavery in Egypt. And he brought them to the edge of the promised land. And he had told them, I am giving you this land. In fact, he had promised them, prom- not only promised them the land, but promised all of their fa- ancestors, all their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on down the line, friends, Uh, And so he wanted them to go in and possess and take the land which he had given them. He had promised to their fathers. However, when they got to the edge of the land, they didn't just go in and take it. What did they do? They first sent out spies. Do you remember that? Twelve spies went into the land uh, to bring back a report of, hey, what are we we up against? What what about the people in the land? Tell us about the land itself. And so when they sent twelve spies out, ten of the spies came back. With a negative report. Well, partially negative. They said, yeah, the land is beautiful. The land is flowing with milk and honey. It's great. But the people are too big. The cities are too fortified. There's no way. We're just a small band of of, of slaves from Egypt. There's no way we can take the land. However, the two came back and said, yes, the land is awesome. It's flowing with milk and honey. And guess what? God has given it to us. Let's go take it. We can take this. Which did the Israelites, the whole the Israelites as a whole, which did they listen to? Did they listen to the ten with a negative report or the two with a positive report? They listened to the ten with a negative. And they refused to trust God and to go in and to take the land that God had promised them. And as a result, because they refused to do what God had told them to do, God sent them back into the wilderness to wander around and to live in the wilderness for 40 years until all of that unbelieving generation had died off. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we come kind of to the, uh, the 40 years has passed. It's, it's, it's the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. Um, that old generation had died off. Uh, their children had grown up. 
Uh, there was now a different generation uh, leading. They were again, God had brought them to the verge of the promised land. And Moses now speaks to this new generation uh, some words of encouragement and some words of teaching that they needed to understand. Look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, Every commandment which I command you to you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember <clears throat> that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Now, God didn't leave them alone, right? God didn't leave them just to, just to be on their own and, and without any guidance. Now, the scripture says that God led them even uh, in, the, in, in the consequences of their action. He was still their God. But it says he led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. Friends, why did God make them spend 40 years in the wilderness? The first reason was to humble them, to break their pride. You see, what the Israelites were saying when they had gotten to the edge of the promised land the first time and they refused to go into the promised land, here's what they were saying. They were saying, God, we don't care what you say. We know better than you. God, we know that you've said to go in and take the land. But we don't think that's a good idea. The people were too big. The cities were too fortified. God, we think we know what's best. Would we be honest enough this morning to say, we do the same thing? Oftentimes in our lives, we're facing a challenge or a difficulty or a, a circumstance, and, and, and we need courage in the Lord to, to move forward. Or, or God's trying to teach us something and God's trying to take us in a certain direction, friends. And we say, no, God, I know what's best. Friends, here's what the scripture, let me ask you, what does the scripture have to say uh, about how God feels when we have that kind of attitude? James chapter 4 says this, says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, friends, I don't know how to put this any plainer. Um, God doesn't like it when we bow up our when we bow up our shoulders and our neck, and we say, "You know what? I'm going to be stubborn in this." Um, God hates stubbornness in us. When we think we know what's right, and we think we're gonna we know what to do, and we resist what He wants in our lives, friends. One of the reasons God made the Israelites to wander in the wilderness for forty years was to humble them. God allowed them to experience the fruit of their own actions. We talked about this last week, they, the, the consequences of their own decisions. You know, um, uh, it, it, what a man sows, that he will also reap. Amen? And that, uh, that, that scripture applies in various areas of our lives, friends, but specifically with our decisions. God allows us to experience the fruit of the consequences of our decisions. They didn't want to go in and possess the land that God had promised to them. So here's what God said. Fine. You don't want to do what I've called you to do. You don't want to do what I've told you to do. Why don't you try wandering in a wilderness for 40 years and see how you like that? And it was through that wilderness experience, friends, that God humbled them, that God taught them that they didn't know what was best. On the evening of September 8th, 1923, 
a Navy destroyer ship named the USS Delphi was leading a fleet of 14 ships down the California coastline during a training exercise. The Delphi was captained by Lieutenant Commander Donald T. Hunter, an experienced navigator and instructor for several years at the Naval Academy. Lieutenant Commander Hunter was known for his excellent ability as a navigator and his self-confident decisiveness in leading and guiding his ship. The problem was, he was cocky. He knew it. He knew that, uh, uh, you, you know somebody who, who, who has a certain amount of knowledge, but, but unfortunately they know it as well. And, and he became overconfident. Uh, he was arrogant even about his own ability to always make the right decision. That's what he thought at least. While on the, this training mission down the California coastline in 1923, all of a sudden, a thick blanket of fog descended upon the ship. In fact, Lieutenant Commander Hunter himself said that it all of a sudden looked like they were in the midst of pea soup. However, they continued down the California coastline. As they did, the dense fog and other adverse weather conditions affected their ability to know exactly where they were. Radio compass signals sent to the Delphi from the naval station at Point Arguello indicated that the ships were headed directly toward the naval station. Not a good thing. However, Lieutenant Commander Hunter didn't trust those signals, and instead he insisted on navigating the Delphi by a navigational system called dead reckoning. In other words, he thought he knew what was best. So he ignored all the danger signs, He ignored all the warnings from the naval station at Point Arguello and kept the ship plowing ahead down the coastline. However, as he did so, all of a sudden, while they were traveling at a pretty quick pace of 20 knots, about 23 miles an hour, the USS Delphi smashed broadside into the rocky shoreline of Point Arguello. The force of the massive collision actually split the hull of the USS Delphi in half. But that wasn't the worst of it. I don't know if you remember, but 13 other ships were following them. Unfortunately, one by one, eight of the 13 other destroyers also ran aground as they smashed onto the rocks as well. In all, 23 servicemen died that day, and seven ships sank and were destroyed. All because of Lieutenant Commander Hunter's pride and arrogance in insisting he was right. This tragedy known as the Honda Point disaster still stands as the worst peacetime disaster in U.S. naval history. And friends, it took smashing into the rocks at Point Arguello to break Lieutenant Commander Hunter's pride and teach him humility. The question is, what's it going to take to teach us? What's it going to take for us to listen to God? In what area of your life are you plowing ahead, friends, because you think you know what's best? Is there some area of your life in which you refused to listen to God's leading? Is there some area of your life you refused His conviction? How is God trying to get your attention? Friends, God uses trials to humble us. And here's the thing. We need to be listening. 
Not only that, friends. Not only does God use trials to humble us. But the second thing I want you to see this morning, and the second reason that God allows trials in our lives, friends, is he uses trials to reveal what's in our hearts. He uses trials to reveal what's in our hearts. Look at verse 2 again, if you will. Verse 2 says this, says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Friends, not only does God allow tests and trials to humble us, but he also does it to test us. To reveal what's in our hearts. Now, listen, it's not that God doesn't know what's there. Amen? You know, it's not that God needs to see that. But here's the deal. We often don't know what's in our hearts. God tests us so that we can, we can see what comes out of us when we're squeezed. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who? can know it. Friends, one of the dangers that we need to be careful of is um, our own heart deceiving us. Thinking we are one place, but man, we're really somewhere else. Uh, We may say we love Jesus. We may say we believe in him. We may say, yeah, I'm following him. I, I, I would do anything for the Lord. But how do we really know? If we will or not, friends, I believe what the scripture teaches us here and in other places, friends, is that it's only in and through difficult times that our true colors are shown. It's only when we're pressed. You know, I I would like to say that if we were persecuted, real persecution here in America, that, that, that I would stand for the Lord. That's my plan. That's my intention. I, I, I want to be strong in him. But how do we know? Until unless that ever happens. I want you to think about this. Um, the Apostle Peter was adamant that he would never deny the Lord. He said, oh no, Lord, I will never deny you. In fact, he even went so far, even if all others do, I will not. You ever heard that kind of pride before? Have you ever thought that kind of pride before? You know, there was a saying when we were in seminary, because uh, the danger can, can be uh, we get in such a place as a Christian or even as a pastor and so forth that we think we're above or beyond the devil getting, getting us and pulling us in a certain direction, you know, uh, and, and simply saying that yet for the grace of God, so go I. Friends, every single one of us, unfortunately, has a sin nature and a sinful heart that wants to pull us away from God. And until we acknowledge that and we own that and we confess that to God and allow God to inhabit us and to permeate our lives, friends, then that sin nature holds us captive. You see, Peter said he never would. But when he was tested, what happened? He denied Jesus three times. Weren't you with Jesus? Oh, no, 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 no. I do not know the man. And until the rooster crowed, when Peter remembered what the Lord Jesus had said, he learned and Jesus taught him. You see, friends, trials aren't to show God what's in our hearts. 
It's to show us what's in our hearts. Friends, so that we can make changes before it's too late. Amen? And for that reason, friends, and probably others as well, we need to look at trials differently. We need to look at trials as not um, God's, God hates me. But friends, trials are actually a gift from God. Because God wants to show us where we are before it's too late. The question is, friends, what have the trials and difficulties in your life shown? Have they shown that a heart that loves the Lord with, with everything, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because he saved you and redeemed you and made you his own? Or have they shown a heart that is mad at God or angry at God or, or, or is bitter towards him or blames God because you think God owes you something? God, how dare you allow this to happen in my life? God, how dare you do this to me? Friends, that is not a heart that is where God wants it to be. And that's a heart that's going to continue to go through trial after trial after trial after trial. For God to get us where we need to be. God uses trials, friends, to humble us, to reveal what's in our hearts. And number three kind of flows right out of that, friends, that God allows trials and uses trials to drive us closer to him. You see, we have a choice when we're in the midst of trials. When we're in the midst of a difficult circumstance, when we are Um, going through the stuff. We can choose to get mad at God or we can choose to draw close to him. I want you to look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, says, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. You notice that there? God allowed them to hunger. But he didn't, look what it says, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. They'd never seen that before, right? Something new. That God allowed them to hunger, but then he provided for them. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You see, friends, through their hunger, through that that wandering time in the wilderness where they did without, friends, God showed them that he is their provider. Amen? Amen. It is through difficult times when we feel pressed, we feel like we can't go any farther. Friends, we feel like uh, we don't have uh, anywhere else to turn, friends, that we can rely on the Lord and we can know that he is there for us. Amen? They just needed to trust what God had said. Look at verse 4. This is, I think this is one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. I want you to think about this, what this says. Verse 4 says, and continuing to talk about their time in the wilderness, it says, Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Um, the whole 40 years in the wilderness, friends, God kept their clothes and their shoes from wearing out. Now, I've had some clothes that lasted a long time, okay? In fact, I will admit that I, ha- I probably still have some shirts that are older than my kids, 
All right. You know, and I don't even realize it sometimes. You know, I, every now and then I'll look on my phone, look back through the pictures, you know, from 10 years ago or so. And, and if I'm really thinking about it, I'm like, man, I still got that shirt. <laughs> still in good shape, you know, or maybe it's worn out and got holes in it and so forth. And, uh, but, but, you know, I've got, uh, I've got some clothes and shoes that have lasted a long time, friends, but not 40 years. That's amazing. Phil, you got anything lasted 40 years? You, you do. Okay. Keith, you do. Okay. All right. Um, well, Kathy, Joanne, is it, is it presentable in public? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. I don't know whatever God did to that. You know, I want to find what brand were those shoes? Nike, Reebok, um, Eternity. You know, we make a new brand and so forth. But here's the deal. With all God did for them, with all God provided for them, the way God took care of them in the wilderness, friends, how did the Israelites respond? You would think, you would think, oh, God, thank you for taking care of us. God, thank you for leading us and guiding us all the way through this time. They complained, and they complained, they complained, and they complained. You know what I think God was thinking that whole time? There was a land flowing with milk and honey that I had for you guys. Still is. You were right there. I told you to go in and take it. You refused to take it. Don't complain to me. But they did. And they blamed God for their problems when whose fault was it all along? It was their fault. It was their fault. You see, friends, we have a choice. When something bad happens, when trials happen, when adversity happens in our life, friends, we can choose to wag our finger at God or we can use that same finger to tell him to come close. We can be angry at God. God, why are you doing this in my life? Or we can allow God to comfort us and wrap his arms around us and and, and pull us close to him. Friends, we can choose to run towards God or we can choose to run away from him. The choice is ours. And here's the deal, friends. Listen, in every trial, in every difficulty, in every bad thing that happens, friends, God is standing there with his arms wide open, and he wants us to run to him. Amen? He wants us to come to him and to, 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 to let him lead us and guide us and, and, and comfort us through that, friends. But the devil wants to use that same trial to drive a wedge between us and God. And the devil will get in your head. The devil will get you blaming God for stuff. The devil will get you high on your horse thinking you're all that. Why? How dare God treat, treat me that? How dare other people treat me that way? How? I can't believe all this stuff's happening to me. <laughs> You've been there. The choice is ours. Will we draw close to God? Or will we allow to be pushed away from him? Because, friends, here's the deal. If we'll draw close to God, God will do some amazing things in our lives. You hear me? I, I, I hope you hear me say this all the time. And that is, friends, it doesn't matter what has happened in our life. It matters what is happening in our lives. No matter where you've been, no matter the difficulties that have happened, friends, draw close to the Lord and he will draw close to you. 
Uh, we can always turn from our sin and, and choose to, to set aside our pride and, and swallow that and, and humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Do your work in my life. That's the point at which God wants us to come to. Not a stubbornness in saying, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I know how to do because God's just going to allow this stuff to happen to me. God, I don't understand what's going on. But God, I know you're in control. I submit myself to you, Lord. Lord, do your work in me. That's the heart we need to have. Amen? Friends, because the last thing that we need to understand, the last reason I believe we see here, is that God allows trials for our ultimate good. For our ultimate good. And friends, here's the deal. Um, Everything that happens to us, we would not classify as good. Amen? The trials themselves, nobody wants to go through stuff. Nobody wants to lose a loved one. Nobody wants to go through health problems. Nobody wants to go through divorce. None of that stuff. But when we surrender and submit ourselves to the Lord, friends, God will use it all for our good and for his glory. Look at verse 5. may take us a little bit to get there, amen? Let's see where the Israelites were with this. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. In other words, friends, what this verse is saying is that for the Israelites, the wilderness was disobedience for, uh, was discipline, excuse me, for their disobedience. Very clearly it was. And, and let's just be honest, friends. There are times at which trials for us are disciplined from the Lord. So we do need to understand that. Amen? But here's the deal. Not all trials are disciplined. You know, don't think just because you're going through something that necessary. We need to ask that question, God, is there something in my life that, that you're trying to discipline me, discipline me for? But some trials come simply because we live in a fallen world. We live in a, a world that because of the, the sin and of Adam and Eve, uh, death has entered into this world. And along with death, disease and suffering and all those things, friends, and, and sometimes uh, trials uh, are, are simply come because we live in a fallen world, friends, and they're not necessarily a result of any particular sin. Sometimes the trials that are going on in our lives, uh, we go through are a result of other people's sin. You've been there, done that? Got the t-shirt, huh? You know, you suffered because of what somebody else has done or bad decisions they've made. Friends, whatever it is, here's what we need to understand. Instead of blaming God, and see, we always want to know why, right? How many here want to know why? Guess what? You may never know why. Let me ask you another question. Are you okay with that? You have to be. Um, I think that's our pride. And listen, I'm not pointing fingers at you. Listen, there's pointing back at me too, okay? I, I'm with you a lot of times. We want to know why. Why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Whatever. Friends, we may never know why. Why don't you look at verse 15? So uh, let's, let's back up for just a second. Go to, go to verse 7. All right, some of these verses are not going to be on your screen, but you're looking, looking in your text. 
Um, so the next section of verses here, um, verse 6 tells us, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and pomegranates, a land it keeps going. Listen, this is a good land, that promised land, the land God had promised them. Okay? Um, verse 10 says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. 11, beware, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Uh, and look down to verse 14. He says, when your heart is lifted up. Now, we think of that in a good context, but that's not what the word means here. It means be careful when your heart becomes prideful. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and he might test you. And what does this last part say? To do you good in the end. Friends, God took them back to the wilderness. He humbled them. He tested them. He did all these things, friends, through the trials. Why? God's ultimate purpose in trials, friends, is for our good. We need to trust that. The reason we have such difficulty in trials is because we don't trust God in that. We don't trust that all things work together for good to those who, are, who, who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, friends. We don't trust that God has our best interests at heart because he doesn't do things in the way we may want, amen, and do it the way we want it done, the way we like things. Friends, here's what we need to trust is that God uses trials in our lives for our ultimate good to grow us and to mature us into who he wants us to be. James chapter 1 Verse 2 says this, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Friends, how are we supposed to count it all joy? What are you saying, James? Count it joy when we fall into trials. When trials come, how can we count it joy? He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Knowing that what God's putting you through is is, is, is developing patience in your life. So, you know what James is, is saying here? Have patience in patience. Look at verse 4. He says, but let patience have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work. In other words, be patient in being patient. Pastor, I'm not patient to start with. Well, I get that. Remember what we talked about last week? The fruit of the flesh is what? Destruction, anger, outbursts of wrath, other sins. Yet, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Friends, please understand, 
that God knows what's best for us. He's working in our heart. He's working in our lives for our ultimate good. I'm not going to I'm not going to get into a debate about this this morning or even really go deeply into it. But I want to say something very simply put, and that's this, that, you know, God doesn't control us like automatons, like robots. I believe he gives us a free will, and he also um, allows us to either respond positively to his, his grace or to not to. And so... Um, the amazing thing to me is this. Friends, my God is so sovereign that he can work out even the stupid messes that I make for my good (laughs) and the dumb decisions that I make and others make and things that happen to me. He can even work all that stuff out for our good. Amen? Amen. I want to show you a picture of a man that I just, um, this story ran across um, uh, my email or something just yesterday, and I believe that it was for a purpose. And so I want to tell you about this man. I don't know a lot about him and have a chance to research other than um, I know he goes around and shares his testimony. Um, this was not in a Christian magazine. This was on Fox News, so I was pretty, pretty pumped about that. Um, this man's name is Daniel Ritchie. As you can see, He was born with no arms. I want you to listen to what he has to say. He says, once people begin to get comfortable being around me, one of the most common questions people ask me is this. If you could choose to have arms, would you? He said, well, while it's not just a cut and dry answer, he says, I end up telling people, no, I would not. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, being born without arms might actually be the single greatest thing that has ever happened to me apart from my salvation. He said, God has taken a disability that many would see as a disaster and used it to mold and shape me as a man and a believer. He said, my disability and the pain that has come with it has allowed me to see more distinctly the character of God. He has comforted me. He has assured me. He has strengthened me when there seemed to be no source of hope. My hurt has also taught me a lot about myself, he says. My trials and tribulations are tools that God has used to mold me and shape me. He says, for my good and his glory. And then he says this. He says, my pain is a gift. And if I can see it as such, I will begin to be molded in the right ways. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that that perspective is absolutely essential to handling trials and adversity the way we should. Amen? With patience, with perseverance, and with grace. Friends, it's an understanding that God allows trials in our lives to humble us, to reveal what's in our heart, to draw us closer to him, and ultimately for our good, that we can begin to face those trials with bravery and courage. 
I want to close with a, um, a story, a, kind of a, just an illustration that I hope will cause you to think. Uh, pastor and author John Ortberg imagines this scenario. He says, imagine for a minute that you've just welcomed a new, a, a new, your newborn baby girl into the world. In other words, imagine that you've just had a, a new baby girl. He says, next, I want you to imagine that you've just been handed a script of her entire life. In other words, you get to see her whole life played out in a script you've been given. Better better yet, he says, you've also been given an eraser. And five minutes to edit out anything you want. The question is, what would you erase? First of all, you read that she will have a learning disability in grade school. Reading, which comes easily to most kids, will be difficult for her. In high school, she'll make a great circle of friends, then one of them will die of cancer. After high school, she'll get into into the college she wants, but while she's there, she will lose a leg in a car accident. Following that, she'll go through a time of difficult depression. Surely, We would erase all of that, right? A few years later, she'll get a great job, then lose that job in an economic downturn. She'll get married, but later go through the grief and heartache of a painful divorce. With this script of your child's life in your hands and five minutes to edit it any way you want, what would you erase? Wouldn't you want to take out all the bad stuff, all the stuff that would cause her pain? If you could erase every failure, every disappointment, every time of suffering, wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't wouldn't that be a good idea? Or, as John Ortberg proposes, would erasing all the adversity and bad stuff actually keep her from growing into the best person she could be? You know, we, we have a name for kids who grow up without any difficulties, right? They have a silver spoon in their mouth. Is it possible, could it be possible, that we actually need adversity and setbacks? Maybe even need crises and trauma to reach the fullest potential of development and growth in our lives. Friends, John Ortberg contends that God doesn't always erase all of our stress and pain before it starts. Instead, God uses our failures, our disappointments our times of suffering to help us grow. He says, God isn't at work producing the circumstances that I want. God is at work in bad circumstances to produce the me he wants. Friends, I don't know about you, but I know I wouldn't be who I am today if God hadn't allowed me to go through some stuff in my life. Maybe today, maybe today, today you just need to give thanks to the Lord instead of being mad at him for bringing you through some difficult times in your life. Can you give thanks to him for that? Friends, maybe you're going through a difficult time right now. And you need to draw close to the Lord. You need to draw near to him. Friends, don't let the devil use that to drive a wedge between you and God. 
Friends, maybe instead of letting God work in you, you've been fighting him every step of the way. Friends, whatever it is, would you give your pain, your heartbreak, your heartache, your disappointments over to him today? Let's pray.